0: Welcome to Hearthside Salons, talks and conversations to feed your creative fire. I'm Heidi Hornbacher of Pagecraft Writing. Each week, we bring you a guest worth listening to. All artists want to make things that have an impact. Filmmaker Wanjiro Ngendu has already had a major impact on several fronts. Today, she talks with me about the power of filmmakers to educate and to instill curiosity, and how her ability to turn no's into yes's has made all the difference in her career trajectory. For 2020, that trajectory led right into the Academy of Motion Pictures Arts and Sciences. The first thing I wanna know, how do they tell you that you're in? Okay, so welcome.
1: Thank you, thank you for having me.
0: Yes, I'm. you're the first Academy member that I've ever met, I think. I don't think I've ever oh, actually wow. known anybody.
1: Oh, wow. That's right.
0: Yeah, let's start there. Like, how did that feel when you got, is it a letter? Is it a, like, do they they have doves fly to your house? Like, how do you find out?
1: No, you know know what was really funny? Um, The process started, it's a nomination process. And so a festival director who fell in love with my film, Box, sent it to an Academy board member who made me his nominee. And this was all the way back, I think, the first week of April or end of March. And I had completely forgotten about it, which was a good thing because... You know, when you're waiting for anything, it's like that you eat that you. And it was so strange because this was the first time I deliberately chose not to focus on something. And they don't, they don't, they don't tell you. First they do the press release, and then, like ten minutes after the press release is on all the trades, you get the email in your inbox. So I had worked out. I had done a couple of calls. I was like, okay, I'm still in my workout clothes. I need to shower. I come out of the shower. It's about two thirty. And my phone's blowing up and everyone's like, congratulations. And I'm like, I have no, so I was like, You're
0: okay. like, I did a great shower. Thanks everybody.
1: Yeah, I was like, I did a great shower. I watered my plants, but <laughs> and it's funny because that was actually my plant watering day. So my day had been <laughs> Um, But so finally, when somebody else texted me, a festival director texted me and I said, thank you, question mark, question mark, question mark. And she's like, you're an academy member. I'm like, what? So I immediately like, First I scream, and then I go, and then, you know, the list is like 800 people. So I start looking, and I'm like, what am I doing? And I turn on the search and find feature, and I look, and my name's there. And my name was there, and I was just like, oh, my God, I am an Academy member. And then, you know, called my best friend, screaming, called my brother in Texas. The time difference in Kenya, my family was asleep, so I couldn't call them. And so, and then I called my other friend, uh, Lola, who I screamed with. And then I went back to my computer and, I, and just as I was checking, I was checking my emails because now I was also seeing emails coming in. The academy, the official, like, you know, do you accept? I was like, hell yeah, I accept. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know who would turn it down, but, yeah. you know, they do yes or no and you accept and then they put you through the process. And I was like, I'm going to fill this out right now in case they realize they made a mistake so they don't take- <laughs> you know, I said, You know, it's so strange because, you always want to be in those spaces and in, 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 in such organizations that when it happens, you're just like, am I really I still have moments. My friend also got in in Kenya as other documentaries, an amazing documentary. And we still pinch each other. And she was awake. So I called her, we screamed, and then I was like, Oh, Matthew Cherry's on there. So then I'm texting Matthew, and then I'm texting my other friend. And it was it was just it was beautiful, it was overwhelming. It's an acknowledgement of the body of work I've done. And even more important, it's an acknowledgement of my voice. So hopefully we can start, you know, being more vocal and just making sure that, you know, we are a more diverse academy. Which yeah. this class.
0: So that's what I was going to say is, like, obviously you can vote on things, which is so important to representation. And, you know, the voices that we are now, that we're starting to finally hear and getting, you know, the gatekeepers are finally like, oh, hey, wait. So that is... Um, that is really important. Like that's, is that what, what are you most excited about being an Academy member?
1: Um, there's someone who asked the question. Yes. It's yes. a of motion picture and sciences. See, I even have a moment. Um, first, I'm just, I'm just excited because just the films, you know, you get, you, you get this, you get to um, watch the films. And, and like, I just signed on to become a, a, a juror on, um, You know, we got to vote for the Oscar films. Um, I believe we should be, we view best picture and a couple of the other branches and then each of the branches people and then the shots and animation. And then I just signed up for the Student Academy Awards because I think also that's a really great place to see the diversity in voices and stories. Um, I really, they have really great programs. Like uh, last week we had 8 a.m. It's really amazing because it's worldwide. So in LA, we have to be up in our computers by eight. You know, the, the conversations they had, Pete Doctor, who did Inside Out, he did Monsters Inc., you know, and just hearing yeah. from the process and how it works, you know, those are inside the inside doors that I wouldn't have access to before. You know, Oscar winning uh, directors who are talking about the animation process. This morning we had Whoopi Goldberg and Brian Stevenson, um, and just talking about race and how film influences, you know, racial relations and how stories may and not may, may not be told. So mm-hmm. it was just, it's, it's, you know, they, they have programs. I mean, we are not going to do the governor's ball this year. I was like, I have a dress. I actually bought <laughs> that four years ago and told myself one day I'll go to something. But it's it's also how much outreach they do. They do a lot of outreach. They do a lot of education. So I'm looking forward to exploring that. And once we receive, we still haven't received the packets, but I have an idea of just the benefits. But the very first benefit is once I registered, accepted, got my member number assigned, I got into the screening room and and there were all the films already for best picture. So it's nice to have other films to watch outside the usual streaming platform. So that's a very big plus. Yes. Yes.
0: Yes. And, and the, the whole thing about, I love that you want to do the educational part because that, that is like helping them the next generation and the, the voices that are coming and it helps, it helps just broaden everything, uh, which is what we are in sore need of. So, yes. So, I would imagine that um, growing up in Kenya, this is you're very far from home. What what was your what was it like when you were a kid? What was your childhood like? What were your what was your dream?
1: Um, my dream, since I was eight years old, was to direct. Um, surprisingly, it's a dream I had very young. Um, it, it took a while for me to understand. My dad was very big on movies and movie rentals. You know, we might be dating ourselves, but VHS rentals we still get yes. our VHS. And and when I was eight, I saw ET and that film had a very, very big impact on me. And then when I was 12, I saw the Goonies and then I was like, okay, I want to do this. I don't know what this is, but whatever the feeling the films are giving me. And so my dad was able to sit down with me and then it's like, okay, what you're looking to be is a director, you like writing stories. Mm. And he always made sure to nurture that. Like if I wanted to go to the video library and get a movie, you know, he always gave me pocket money. So my father and my mother were very big on nurturing, um, our creative sides. um, I'm the only one in the industry, but everybody is so creative in their own way. Uh, books were a very, very big influence. You know, my parents always, always made sure we had books. We were reading something. Um, I was a very imaginative child, which got me into a lot of trouble. And <laughs> since I was a little kid, my nickname has actually been Magic because my mom would come back, come and be told some of the things She's like, "She's magic. Just let her be." And so the name stuck. Fortunately. But um, it was it was very it was a very open household. There are not a lot of resources when I was growing up in Kenya. There wasn't a film school, which is why I went mm. to film school in Boston. There was the Muhammad Amin School, but it was more journalist um, and and more you know um, television television anchoring type. And I, and I, and that well that is very important. I knew my heart lay in scripted content, and so my dad supported me all through high school writing my stories. And then when I was ready to go to film school, he, he was like, okay, you know. Now you're ready, go do what you got to do. And I've, I've been doing it with the support of my family ever since.
0: That's exceptional. Um, so many artists that I talked to said that the first thing their family said is, there's no way you're going to be an artist. Go do something practical. So I love that your family was like, uh, no, yeah, actually.
1: And always checks in and is always, you know, and he taught us to be very practical. You're an artist, but you still have the rent job, you know? Right, yeah. Uh, you make films on the weekends and you make films until the money's coming in. And, and he, he was always very pragmatic and always taught us that, yeah, you can have money coming in, but he never stifled the dream. And my yeah. sister, who's an architect, actually said something to me last year. I went back home. My dad just turned 70, my niece turned 1. So it was a big family celebration. And we, we were sitting having dinner, just me and her. We went out for a meal. And she said, I envy how brave you are. And I was like, What? And she said, You wake up every day not knowing if you're getting a yes, but you still wake up. And she was just like, For me, it's a go. I'm an architect. The building will be built. But she just said, you spend all this time creating something. And even if you get a no, you still wake up. And she said, you have no idea how much I envy your bravery. And I, and when she put it that way, it reminded me of of why we do what we do.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's really lovely, actually. And I think we all of us filmmakers need to remember that more often that, you know, we get we bang our heads against the wall every day. But it's with a purpose, and it's not something everyone is cut out for.
1: Next one, yes. I mean, one of the things I told my sister was like, I got into the academy. I was rejected from every directing fellowship this year. Like, you, you know how you have a folder that in your email. I actually have a folder called Yeses and noes. and it's okay. I filed the emails, and and I didn't get into any of the directing fellowship. And I have a film that's now almost at seventy from festivals. You know, I have. I did another shot that was actually acquired by a studio. You know, for the proof of concept for the feature. But you still get the rejections, you know, you still get the, you're not going to get into this TV directing workshop, which is the next step. But then I also have director friends who are mentors who like last year, I was like, I just need to shadow on a show. And a good friend of mine, Mark I was like, okay, I'm on this show in uh, Albuquerque. can you fly down for three weeks? And just like that, I was, I was a shadowing director on daybreak for Netflix, wow. you know? And so, and so it, it's very easy to, to, to forget the few yeses, because I think we get beaten so much, but when they do and they count so much, like I've been very blessed in the last two years that my yeses have been very big yeses, but it's also, I also have to remember that it takes a certain amount of work, you know, it takes every festival application, like I wasn't going to submit festival that this film played in, that the festival director gave the board member, like you see how just you can self-sabotage, and you know, if I had said, here's another festival, another fee, as opposed to I'm investing in me and let me click submit. And then that led to this, that led to that, that led to this, you know?
0: Yes. And and the other, the other side of that is the, the nose, the level of nose. I keep trying to, if someone said the other day to me that you um, have to remember that you're getting nose from higher and higher levels, which yes. says something in itself.
1: And then the nose make you a better filmmaker. You know, I yeah. had a crowdfunding for, to do two individual short films. We were raising twenty five thousand, we got to seventeen thousand, which was the green light. No, we needed to get to eighteen. We got to seventeen thousand and then for two weeks there was uh. no It was and I have never felt like such a failure, but because of that, and those projects are still viable. First I ended up making one into a feature script, which is already in talks now. But because of that, I was able to go back and say, Okay, I have my tax return. This is what I have. What can I do? And I took that no and I packaged it into a yes for myself. I was like, okay, this is not a situation where I have to 100% cash out my tax return. I'm not paying off anything. You know, you tell yourself I'm paying off your yeah. credit. No, I cashed it out. I invested it in myself, my film, my cast and my crew. And it's been the biggest thing that has paid off for me. It was okay. terrifying because I, I was so close to paying off my student loans. And I was like, student loans, make a film. But, you know, I, I I went the way of the film, and it panned out for me.
0: That's amazing. So when you look back at those writings and the early work that you did in high school, for example, like what
1: do you see of that artist, of that that kid that was like? I still see the same type of fashion. I still, it's very interesting when I write, I'm better now because I, I tend to write everything and I've become better at structuring how I write and, and working because... You know, some people can sit and write. I'm one of those who can sit and work, just want to write the entire script. So I've had to train myself, like, do an outline, take your index cards, break it out. But I still see the same person that I am today. Um, just she, she was much more vocal, and I used to have my characters shout at each other to make points. But <laughs> when I my writing, I still see the same person who wanted to do it at eight years old that I'm doing it right now. Um, and so it's the same girl. I mean, I wouldn't – honestly – I was asked the other day, what would you tell your younger self? I, I honestly said, I'm very lucky to say I don't have an answer for that because my parents put me on the right path. I have really supportive siblings and I have friends who cheer every yes. I have friends who come over with, you know, a bottle of wine when we get the no's. And, and I've been very fortunate that I have the support system, which, which I know a lot of people don't have. But again, because I think I was a little weird kid, you know, it kind of makes them fascinated to see what I'll do next. So yeah, I just feel like just keep writing and buy another composition book. I always just run out of space.
0: Oh, I love that. But I love that just creating churning out so many thoughts that you just can need to keep up with it. Yes, that's lovely. I want to talk a little bit about your your artistic evolution, and it sounds like there's a little bit already got more subtle. So characters aren't necessarily shouting at each other to make points now. Um, what inspired you to make your the documentary Safari uh, Jamhuri?
1: Um, my grandparents so Kenya was a British colony and I remember I used to when I I was in boarding school so a lot of times for for school breaks I'd go and spend time with my father's parents and my parents were actually in a colonial camp you know when people think colonialism civil rights they think really long ago Um, no my grandparents were in a colonial camp and so was my dad until he was about four years old so just listening to their stories and just the survival and what was interesting, I actually went to Emerson College for scripted writing and directing, but I wanted to make my thesis film um, honest to the voice of you know, my background, my culture. And I also realized that a lot of the people who partook in the colonial war were starting to die off. Mm. Uh, and so my, my grandmother, I mean, she, my grandmother was actually six foot one, but in height, she was five four because she got kicked in the back by a British soldier because she was late, uh, trying to carry my dad who was wriggling in the firewood, firewood, and so he kicked her, and he fractured three of her vertebrae. So she never stood up straight, but it oh never God. affected her. It never, you know. If you look at all our pictures with us and then grandma is over there, and we never understood it. But then when she explained the story, because we always thought grandma was short, but then as we got older and we asked questions, she that's when she told us. I remember she told me the story by a fireplace. And I was looking at her and my dad was the first child. My dad was the only son, the last of of six, five five girls, one. And when they were released from the colonial camp, they were only given a certain amount of money, which was barely anything to restart. So they had to choose. And so my dad was the only one who got to go to school to read and write. But everything he did was to give back to his family. Like all my cousins, uh, he was the one usually paying for their school fees, paying for anything they needed. But once he became an architect, So I wanted to do that, but I also wanted to have my history, um, you know, in in a recorded format. And so I went back and interviewed my grandparents and interviewed um, a whole bunch of people. I walked with this pastor who was working with um, ex-Maumau warriors um, with the British, against the British government. And I just got all these incredible stories. There was one woman who was a field marshal, which was like a general, and she would take in widows and you know, have them live in a in, in, a small, in an, uh, an enclosed area which had multiple huts, but everyone knew that those were her women. And it wasn't in a sexual manner. It was protectiveness. Yeah. If, if you're a woman of the field marshal, they, they would not be assaulted. They would not be attacked. And there was none of that. They ran the camps. There were no rapes. There were no assaults within the camps. The camps were, were ran like with an iron fist. And a lot of times it was women. And that surprised me as well. So it was all of those different things, wanting to tell my heritage and wanting to preserve, you know, what my grandparents went through and what other people went through on the actual battlefront that made me want to do that.
0: That's incredible. I mean, how, how was that film received?
1: Um, it, it was received very, very well. Um, and so I actually need to go back in and re-edit it because the footage is older. But at, uh, about maybe four or five years ago, I, go, I get an email and it's a, it's a law firm in the UK and they were representing 100 ex ex-Mau mao in a lawsuit against the, the British government. And they were like, you have the last living interview of a British soldier called John Nottingham. And they were like, would you let us use that for the case? And I said, absolutely. And John Nottingham was a British soldier who actually ended up being court-martialed because he was supposed to run an execution mission in a village that was resisting. And he refused to lead his soldiers. So he got court-martialed. He ended up uh, staying in Kenya, marrying a Kenyan woman, having children, having grandchildren, was the cheekiest man you know I've ever interviewed. Then just, you know, he gave me a stack of paperwork, which turned out to be all, all these orders and letters. So I scanned all of them and, and all that information was put in as evidence on the, on the case and, uh, and they ended up winning.
0: That is incredible. Like that, yeah. you know, as a, as a documentarian myself, like that's, I can't imagine having that kind of an impact with one of my films.
1: Yeah, I just, I I didn't even understand at the time. I was just like, okay, you need footage and, you know, finding, then you have to find the original tapes because I had to send them unedited, you know, footage.
0: Sure.
1: But it was just understanding how something I did out of love for my grandparents actually Mm -hmm. turned into this historical thing. And that really made me start understanding the power we have as as storytellers.
0: Absolutely. So when you came around to making your short film, Boxed, what... What was important to you to tell about his story?
1: Um, with Box, it was very interesting. So Box, <clears throat> um, as, a, as a creative, I know why I made it as a, a woman and a friend. So I had a friend who had passed away, he had committed suicide, and I'd been struggling for a while. And, and when, I, when I came across the story of Henry, I asked myself, because one of the things I really hate is when somebody says, oh, it's another slave movie. It's not another slave movie, it was 400 years. So I asked myself, how do I humanize him, but how do I make sure that everybody who watches this film goes through every exact feeling and emotion that he went through? And so that, when I went in and I did go from, I have to show anger, hatred, I was like, no, what was was he internalizing? He was internalizing fear, he was internalizing hope, he was internalizing courage, because it took courage to get into that box and just hope for the best. And when I worked from the human element's emotions, that's when the story came around. I, I knew there were specific feelings. I wanted the audience, I wanted the audience to come out feeling they learned something. And I wanted them to come out and feel that they wanted to find out more on who he was. And a lot of audience members do that.
0: Yeah. Well, and we should say for people who haven't seen it, it's the true story of Henry Box Brown, right, who mailed himself to freedom from Virginia to Philadelphia in 1849, right? Yeah
1: in a crate that took in a three by three, by three and a half box. It was, it was a really tiny crate.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy. And, and yet it worked, which is, how did you come across his story in the first place?
1: Well, I, I had been trying to figure out what I wanted to write. And as I said, I, I had a creative block because uh, of what happened with my friend. And then I went to, one of the things I love about living in LA, and I think LA is really such a great resource for artists, there's always something to go to there's always a table reader panel so the world crack pants foundation does um, it's called the hollywood creative forum where they have different panels showrunners, executives directors come and talk to people and a friend of mine was like hey i'm going do you want to go and i was like oh i'll put in my application and they accepted it and i got a pass and i was like okay i'm going and when i was there karen Parsons, who used to play hillary on fresh prince of bel-air she was there and one of the things karen has been doing and it's really amazing because She's the complete opposite of her character. She's very quick, very, you know, all all about causes and activism and education. And so I I know I was just like, this is different, you know, speaking to her, but she has been doing, it's on on Netflix. It's a bunch of short animations called Sweet Blackberry, uh, which is black history films. And she had, they had just rolled out uh, the story of Henry Box Brown. I was like, wait, I know this story. How do I know the story? And this was because when I went to college in Boston, my friend used to be in Newton, so I'd gone to the Newton Museum. So they actually have a replica box. And I was oh, like, wow. oh, you're talking about this story. And so when I went home, I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I went, I read everything on this, on Wikipedia, just stories. And then I went to bed. And then at 2.30 in the morning, I kid you not, I woke up, I wrote the entire film, and then went back to bed. I love it. it. It exploded out of me. And, and, and it, it was just all, I think it was all these suppressed emotions and feelings I'd been dealing with that just channeled itself completely and i went back to bed and when i woke up in the morning i i proofread it and then i emailed it to a dp friend i was like do you want to do this with me and he was like hell yeah
0: so oh i love it yeah because it's really beautifully shot and it's you know it's unusual and i thought that was i was really surprised by you know the fact that we only we don't get his voice we just get his impressions of every voice he's hearing
1: yeah and (laughs) um important to me because I think when people are afraid, you know, and I, I feel like we focus there was too much of the world. I was like, there was too much outside. And I remember the most what I remember when I was struggling dealing with, with my friends that was the quiet moments just sitting on the bathroom floor and turning the light off and just having one candle. Mm-hmm. And it was just that like like I was I, I wanted to everything feels elevated and that's what I wanted the audience to understand the amount because fear when you don't experience it from somebody else's perspective. Can have you know a fourth wall, and I was okay. like, I'm taking that wall away. You're gonna be him. You're gonna be responsible for what's happening to him. And I wanted both sides of the pendulum to be to be to be equal equally for the audience to experience and to go through that. Wow, that
0: I that's amazing. I well, the moment that really struck me the most was the woman yeah. played by our friend Perez yes. Yes. Um and, and I, in that moment, he's hearing this. I'm. Not, I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't want to spoiler. But you know uh, what he's hearing happen, and he has to make a choice to still, you know, not react and not. Yeah. And, and and you can see the weight of that. Yeah. And like as representative of all the suffering of the choices he's had to make.
1: Yeah. And and it, it tapped with that. I wanted to tap into you know. It's, it's usually titled as selfishness, but it's more survival. And there have been times where I have made decisions that are best for me, but I'm not proud of them. But they were the best decisions for me at yeah. the time. And, and there's a certain individual selfishness, and which is I, I, I later learned for self-care and survival that we as a people are not allowed to experience. And that was what I wanted. Was was for him? You know, everybody talks about. You know, you have to be a hero. We have all these massive films coming out about being a hero. But sometimes just to survive you have to be a coward, you know, just yeah. to live to see another day. And that's that's what I wanted to express that that it's not it's not black and white and it's not one way or the other.
0: Yeah, no, and I I love that choice and I love that we see everything on his face. Yeah. Like all the, the conflict and the weight of, of that and the, the the loss and the tragedy and the you know the hope of what he is now going towards. Yes. Was that story, was it known at the time, or was it, did, I assume it's the kind of thing people wouldn't have, people in the, white people in the South wouldn't have wanted people to know about, because then everyone would try it.
1: So. It's, it's recorded, there's good, there's good records kept on, on Henry Brown, because he actually used to be at Loggerheads along with Frederick Douglass.
0: Interesting. Uh, because,
1: because when Henry came out of the box, and went into his new life, he acted I think he, had, he really did have a mental breakdown. This is just my personal opinion, because he ended up turning into a magician, uh, an actor and a magician, but his magician's shtick was coming out of a box, like being put in a box and freeing himself. So he never really let go of what he went through. And, and Frederick Douglass used to be like, why are you doing this? You know, it waters down what we are standing for and everything. Wow. So it's there in history books, you know, that the two of them okay. would be at loggerheads and stuff. So his story is well known and not as known as Frederick Douglass, uh, because what happened was Henry actually moved to Canada for a good chunk of time before he came back and then used to perform a lot in Europe. So he wasn't on boots on the ground um, and very involved, too much involved with the abolitionist movements.
0: Um, wow. What a fascinating life. Yeah. Is, is that something, like, would you ever be interested in writing a feature about the larger p- parts of his life? Like,
1: um, Not not right now, because I think I said what I needed to say with box and I wanted... I wanted to serve as a past, present, and future of what of how very easily it is for tables to flip and for somebody to be in a situation of such intense fear. And maybe later the future will come in terms of without watering down what the shot has accomplished. But I also wanted to just give people, to let people go do their own research, to do their own education, because I think if I tried to stretch it out more, I would have watered down on that as opposed to... I need to figure out who was this man, where did he come from, how long did it take him, what was it, you know, a friend of mine told me her son actually made her get a map and do the whole route and everything, uh. try to get out, um, and so, and, and I'm having fathers text me, tell me, I know your film is very intense, but I made my 11-year-old watch it, and he has all these questions, so I'm always on WhatsApp, replying to questions or doing phone calls with friends' kids, so the conversation is there, which is what wow. I want to talk with that.
0: Well, that goes back to what we were were talking about at the beginning of the power we have as filmmakers to educate and to give curiosity, you know, instill curiosity in people. And like, now I want to know more about Henry. Like, I didn't know about him, you know? Yeah. And and especially now that you're saying he was at Loggerheads with Frederick Douglass, now I really want to know about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it was interesting. I actually found that out after I made the film because I I, I didn't want to also over-research him. But then, when I started figuring it out, and I was like, "Okay, there's this detail," so that I could be able to also talk more extensively about him. Then all those details also came out. Awesome.
0: So, what are you working on now?
1: Um, I shot a horror shot at the beginning of the year that got picked up, and right now I'm just pitching. I have a feature. I want to do something lighter. Definitely looking. <laughs> My, 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 my body of work is pretty dark and pretty heavy stories, which is the opposite of who I am in a person light, happy. Um, I just picked up a comedy short that I'll be directing. It's, it's just three actors, really amazing, quick, snappy dialogue.
0: Nice. So I'm looking
1: to do something uh, short and funny uh, once we're able to, you know, once they say, okay, you can go, sag signs off. And then after that, I have a horror comedy, uh, actually comedy horror. I always start with horror comedy. Comedy horror, and coming-of-age drama that I picked up last year. Um, and it's a period drama. It's set in 1995, which I think was the most awesome rocking time. That's and amazing. So, yeah. So I'm working on Regos, which is a, the comedy horror, and then Lionheart, which is about a young musician. She rebels. She's being trained to go to Juilliard, and then she rebels and joins a post grunge rock band. I love and it. The daughter of... Well, she's a first-generation African-American dealing with African immigrant parents. So I really loved how there was so much going on but also
0: that the fact that she's just a teenager that that sounds like an incredible story actually i love and and that you know was such a seminal time for music in fact one of the things because i was a i was a dj at my college radio station and that was right in that period and it was such an interesting time because there was like there was tribalism yeah like i don't like you because you like that music this is the kind of music you should like to be like cool or whatever and and then like and then Nirvana happened. And then all of that went away. Yeah. And like nowadays, the kids don't, they don't understand about musical tribalism. It's just like, everyone likes everything, which is awesome, you know? And it's just, it's such a, it's such a shift. It's such a paradigm shift. Yeah. What, what so when, you, when you're picking up these scripts, what, what inspires you about the scripts that you, that you sign on to direct? What is, what is it that you say, this is me?
1: This one this one was an interesting conversation. So as we call it, Black Twitter uh, and Black Filmmaker Twitters. And we were all, we were always having conversations among ourselves as Black female directors that we all, we're all always given the burden of having to tell heavier stories. And I was just like, I want to do like a fluffy, you know, neon color, pink colored kind, kind of film and just have it be fun. And so there was a conversation going on on Twitter with filmmakers talking about like, yeah, my film had to have this heavy scene or I didn't agree with this scene, but we had to keep in it to get a distribution. Mm-hmm. And somewhere along the way, I saw a tweet and somebody was like, I have a coming of age musical drama. And then the tweet disappeared, you know how quickly things move. And I was like, oh my God. So I went back to the original tweet, printed the entire tweet process, looked oh for the tweet. God. And then I reached out to a girl and it turned out to be a black French uh, writer, a black writer. Uh, she's French, born and raised, but a same first generation French. Grew up in a tiny village, so it's interesting because Lionheart is her story, but she made it contemporary and set it in New York, but she was a musical prodigy to African parents and everyone in the village was like, oh, if you teach her, she become genius and you make loads of money. So she was always having to perform on demand, mm. always, you know, somebody sees her on the street and, and, you know, and she was just this biracial child with big hair and just didn't belong, you know, because her parents were first, you know, were immigrants, she was first generation. And but she had this talent that everyone was always counting about, and nobody really asked her why, you know, who she wanted to be or what she wanted to do. And so she took all of that later as, as she grew. She's pretty young. She's 26, 27 now, and she just put all of that in writing. And one of the things I, I liked about the script was the girl, the musician, is a cutter, which is not addressed in the black community. Um, any any type of you know mental issue, health issue, you mm. cannot the saying is, "You prayed away with Jesus. Prayed away, and, wow. and it's you know you can't you can't sweep something that's cutting under the rug." And so, just the honesty. What drew me to this story was none of the trauma she had gone through trickled in the story. She just wrote a refreshing. I laughed. I cried. I was with the characters, and that's what I look for. Like if I read that, I'm just like, oh my god, this is amazing. I just picked up an animated series that just made me go. I want to voice one of these characters. So when I look at something, I ask myself, not just as a director, but as an audience member, what attracts me to this? And I'm very drawn towards genre. I'd love to pick up. I've been trying to find a good science fiction film to attach myself to, to do or to pick up. Um, But I just, if it sparks my attention as a director and then sparks my interest as an audience member, then that means both sides of the coin have been flipped because I will be interested enough to live with it because people forget how long, even a short film. So long. Oh, you live with it for so long. And so I think about do I want to live with it for that long? And then as an audience member, would I want to see this film? And that's how you make the choices on the projects, I think.
0: As a practical matter, are you finding are you finding these projects? Are you deciding, are you moving these projects forward? Are you do you have representation? Do you, are, do you have a, like a team that works with you or are you just like um, I out there going? I'm
1: doing agent and manager meetings now. I did a bunch last year, but I didn't click with um, And that's another thing. I, I All my friends were like, are you saying no? And I'm like, well, I'm saying not right now because it's very easy to just sign up with someone. But because for me, I, I think my background is so varied. Like I, I, grew, up, I grew up in the U.S. because I came for college. So those are my formative years as an mm-hmm. adult. But I also want to tell African stories. I want to be able to go to Asia and tell an Asian story that I found in an archive. I found an archive in a library seven years ago and I can't stop thinking about that story. And nobody knows about it. I'm like, how do they not know about this story? Uh, And so I wanted to find someone. And there's a lot of um, push for diversity where people just say diversity, diversity, but, and I, I don't like the feeling when somebody says it too much. I'm like, are you adding me to put a notch on your roster or are you, adding me because you grow with me and grow with me. And, and I have, I'll never forget one person told me whenever you say a yes, make sure it's a kind of yes that makes you never dread having to answer a phone call or answer an email. And oh, that's that, good. Yeah. And I was just like, do I want to sign with someone? Every time my phone rings, I'm like, you know, you have to brace. And so there are a couple of conversations that are coming back around of people who I liked and they've changed their strategy. So that's been my most of my July. But I have a lawyer and she submits everything. I've had a lawyer for seven years now. She, I actually met her years ago through Women in Film. She was on a board member. She championed me in directing a few things for Women in Firm and then later signed to rep me. So it's possible to get things done without an agent and manager. It just takes a little bit of a while but I was okay with that because I needed to make a specific platform for me. But at the same time, it also makes the conversations easier for you when you're having
0: them. Yeah. Well, that's, I think a lot, that, uh, for a lot of us, that's really good to hear, yeah. you know, because there's the, that whole like, Oh, well, when, when I get an agent or a manager, then things will, will happen. And, you know, the truth is no, that and, that's not and, the case. And,
1: and the thing is a lawyer can submit your stuff, can submit right. your to talent to studios, you know, and that's, that's the, the, the difference is an agent will do that faster because they are looking actively for those opportunities. But I also have a lawyer who's a friend where she actively, looks for something and says oh this came across i saw this i think this would be good for you and and puts opportunities in front of me so that also helps in a way that you know she's not only just a lawyer she's a good friend as well and, and has my best interests at heart
0: that's awesome so i wanted to just sort of talk about now what's happening like what do you with everything that's happening now we're all under quarantine the world is going crazy and we have protests and marches and people are it feels like people are finally starting to wake up and it's sort of a weird exciting time and I wanted to ask what you what do you see happening what would you what do you want to see happening
1: the first thing is the conversations are happening it's not being swept under the rug you know when you look at somebody like Kaepernick who knelt for two and a half years and and everyone and and there's been this ongoing problem and there's been you know, I even saw it with Box, People Not Wanting. I had two festivals tell me, we love your film, but, you know, it's a passport And I said, oh, why? And I do ask festivals, why? You know, because you also want to know whether it doesn't match programming, if it's a length or anything. And they said it would make our audience uncomfortable. And wow. I was, these were big festivals that, you know, can make or break your career. And I was just like, but this is a conversation that has to happen, you yeah. know? film that the audience has to be uncomfortable because this is happening right down the street so on the first side i'm very excited that you know black lives matter has gotten the traction it has that people are marching that people are having conversations that the millennials my god they are rising up you know and i and, and just being these active voices yes. and so and, and this is the thing is that people are not saying you we it has to be one or the other they're literally saying can this stop and can they can there be a conversation and they just, I'm seeing amazing footage you with know, my filmmaker friends. I have asthma, so I'm limited in how much I can match. But mm-hmm. I'm seeing filmmaker friends with this incredible photography, incredible yeah. pictures. You know, A friend of mine had a, a picture in the LA Times. He would never have thought of that. But he took this iconic picture, which was on Twitter, and they ended up using it. And so I love the fact that compositions are happening, not just with Black people, with the issues with the industry, why is it you know why is it 79% of TV directors are men? What is happening with the women, or even with um, with TV staffing? You know, that it reaches a certain point and then it just drops from women and people of color. You know, once you get to consulting producers, the numbers completely shift. You know, uh, from a, a 30, 40, 40, 50, you know, and then it becomes like 70, 30, and you're just like, why mm-hmm. the big drop? What conversations are not being had? And, and 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 another thing, I'm part of a, a Women of Color Unite group. You know, they reached out on Twitter and were like, "Start with eight. So reach out if you're a showrunner, if you're a producer. Start with mentoring eight women of color." And people signed up. They've managed to match 600 women in a month. You know, and the fact wow. that Women of Color of Unite is, big, I mean, I they matched me with Craig Mason, who created, you know, Chernobyl. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm <sighs> having a ball with you. You know, and. That and show. And you have conversations and now it's creating, you know, it's creating opportunities where you can, you know, I talked to him about a project I was switching. He's like, actually, you want to do it this way, that way. And I nailed a meeting just by a conversation I had with him, but that's not a point I'd be able to do if I was still trying to do it on my own. So I think it's making people, I don't want to use the word woke. I like the word aware Uh, and it's a difficult conversations. And I think it might, I'm hoping it will lead to us not having a repeat of what happened in 2016 with the voting and, you know, candidates are not ideal, but there's more of a we instead of an I mentality, and I think that's how anything starts to heal. When you remember that, you know, we occupy space. Even if I'm in my apartment, I still have neighbors. You know, which we, we uh, my my occupation as an I is still in a world of a we, and and hopefully that's where the healing starts.
0: Uh yes, it's it's fascinating to me that the. the the ability to see oneself in another film, like the fact that those festival programmers couldn't see themselves in Henry's story just because he maybe was a different color than they, and that's like, but that's the whole point is you're supposed to see yourself in this man, no matter what. And that's, I think the slowest turn or the slowest change, but you know, the, the, the gatekeepers, as you were talking about the hierarchy, the gatekeepers are still largely white men.
1: And and they're still at the indie level. You know, that's one of the things I tell people is when you're doing your festival run, what do you want to get out of it? For me, I wanted this story to go as far as it could, you know. And and as much as indie festivals, they are still gatekeepers, you know. At least I tell people with the studios, they have to make money. They have to get a certain number each year. And for indie festivals, I'm just like, if something makes you uncomfortable, but do you want to be the next person who says, hey, we showed this film, it sparked this conversation. And, and they, you don't have programmers who are brave enough to be like, I'm just going to program it and, and yeah. let, let the audience talk about it and let them be uncomfortable because that's what happens. Yeah. You
0: know? I do feel that there, there seems to be a bit of a shift with people growing. There's a growing number of people willing to sit in the discomfort and have yeah. the uncomfortable conversations. And that's what, that's what needs to happen because we need to get the empathy for people seeing themselves in stories that they hadn't traditionally thought of and broadening the the gatekeeper
1: pool. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I have a film um, that we're in we're in pre right now, we're in talks and all that with with various producers and stuff with my partner who is a woman of color and with the first time we put the put it out, it was packaged, it got all this traction and it went up the flagpole at Amazon and, and they were like, oh uh it's great that it's about this little black girl um, but can she be white and and also can she be a boy and and we like you know my head exploded and of course my partner was like, what did you expect?" and I was like, you know just that the, the white allies waking up to the the rage that you know
1: yeah so many people
0: I mean, of color have just lived with forever
1: two African- American male leads. and I made them African-American because they're molded after my brothers. You know, it, it's it's a buddy comedy in a zombie apocalypse. And I was like, I, the, who do I know? I know my brothers. Those are the two biggest knuckleheads. Yeah. Sorry, brothers, but you are. But they're literally the characters. And and I've had people tell me, if you made this character white, you would get it packaged faster. And I was like, thank you, but no thank you. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. And, and it, it's scary to say thank you, but no thank you. Yeah. It's also a question of, I could do it this way, but then that becomes my legacy and that becomes the path. Right. And if I give at this point, what else am I gonna give for further down the line? Right. Where yeah. oh, can we make you know the Harriet Tubman but make her a redhead? And I'm just like, I, I wouldn't know what to say if I was in that room. So
0: Wow, yeah. That could be a whole subset of memes, things that come out of uh, white producers' mouths. And we, we also said no thank you, and that was three years ago, and now it's moving forward the way we want it and the way we need it to move forward. And it's like, okay, thank you, universe. It's
1: also also a thing, and I have to say this because I I did experience this at one point in conversations. It's also understanding not all stories have to be told by you. I, I was in a situation where they were like, we actually would prefer if you do this Latino story. And I told them, if you want to tell a Latino story that's very specific to South LA, please approach Latino filmmakers. They are there. You know, I may be the yeah. shining object right now, but it also has to be on an individual level of saying, this is not for me to make. And I think yes. a lot of people don't step away from that. And I was just like, look, this is a story that's very, very culturally specific to this. I could tell it, but it's not mine to tell. Yeah. And that, mm-hmm. that's the difference is that, you know, it made them go out and meet with Latino filmmakers. And I was just like, OK, you know, on to the next one. And it did take away from me wanting to tell the story I wanted to tell.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, that's really important. I was, my friend Liz Hara uh, is a puppeteer of color and yeah. she was, she was sharing a, a a talk recently with with various puppeteers and she was saying that exactly what you're saying, <laughs> that there's the, who tells the story it, it, it it's the difference between representation and tokenism, Yeah, which I thought was a, just a beautiful way of encapsulating because when people don't understand why that's an issue, it's like, well, that's why. Yeah. Because, you know, as as a as a Japanese American, she's getting she can bring that in ways that I would never ever in a million years know to write about the Japanese experience. Oh yeah, so absolutely,
1: absolutely.
0: Why would I try to tell that? So yeah. Let's open it up for questions from our, our audience. Good to see you. You too. I am extremely proud of you. Um, so when I saw this pop up, I was like, I got to be there. I have to listen to you. Um, we went to Emerson together. Oh, cool. Um, so my question for you is, you know, you mentioned some of the films that were coming up. Um, any more documentaries?
1: I, I do want to get back to documentary filmmaking, but I want it to be when the pipeline to the money is a little easier. And, and there are two particular stories I want to tell. But um, it's, all, it's also uh, this, this might be a little bit of, of an easier pathway that, you know, scripted money is sometimes easier to find. But I also want to be in a place where, when I tell those stories, because there's there's certain things that I'll need access to that require a bigger yes than the one I'm able to give to. Um, And it's also uncovering a couple of things that I have to just make sure that um, it's safe to do so in telling those stories, because it's going into a much darker history of what the subject does entail.
0: That is massively intriguing.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things I'm like, do I want to make this or do I want to live? So I'm, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live for now. So. <laughs> like that's,
0: that's leaving us with more questions than you've answered. Oh, it is.
1: <laughs> yeah, back. I love watching documentaries. I have so many friends who are documentary filmmakers. I think it's such a raw, honest, and just the dedication it takes to, to tell a documentary film and to live with it for that long. But um, it's something I would want to eventually get back to, and, and just to be able to at least do one a year on top of everything
0: else.
1: Yeah, awesome. that would
0: be that would be an amazing pace of work as well. Yes, actually, that gives me another question. As a documentarian, have you faced a subject that was not necessarily um, friendly to the project, and like, how did you like? If so, how do you how do you deal with that?
1: My dad will tell you I am blessed with the gift of gab. I can talk anyone almost into anything. And there's been very few cases where I shouldn't have done it, but I still did it. Um, I have not because I I try to approach a documentary from a personal aspect and why, why I want to tell the story. And one of the things is people can tell very easily if you're trying to manipulate them Mm. or try to force a conversation. So, I, I, I work more empathically, especially with how, if a question's not going the direction or the answer is not coming, I, 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 I am actually more flexible in how I adjust in situations when I'm speaking to documentary subjects. Uh, and i touching on docu- documentary subjects. So I try, I try not to force it. I try to come from a place of truth. I ask myself, and I always explain beforehand, before I sit down and talk with subjects or, or to the people and, and what the subject matter is and talk to everyone I'm interviewing, as to why I'm doing it, why it's personal to me, and that always leads to an openness um, that I've been very fortunate so far.
0: Wow, that sounds like an incredible way to avoid conflict, yeah, and get what you need as an artist.
1: Yeah, I mean, you still you still meet like you know people who don't want to share information yeah. even archival documents, and you know, like it's interesting. I couldn't get at the time, I couldn't get specific documents from the Kenyan archives, but I got them from John Nottingham. And I was just like, oh, this is the bigger goal part. And so it's it's also very easy not to, to get stuck on, I need to get into this one space, as opposed to this is the other door that's open, let me go down it and see what happens. And I ended up getting even more letters that had not seen the light of day um, through that. Wow. And I'm seeing the comments, so thank you so much, guys. I'm seeing all the well wishes coming into the comments. So.
0: Yeah. Well, this is, I mean, like I said at the top, you're the first academy member that I've met. Um, so I'm just, you know, just to, to know that someone in my peer group, you know, if I can even say that I'm in your same peer group, like someone that I know is like, gotten inducted. That's like, you know, you give me hope, uh, not only for my own career, but just for knowing what the difference you're going to make being part of the voting body.
1: And, and And I want to share this bit because this was actually a creative loophole I found uh, through the festivals. Because um, I know a lot of people eventually want to make films that head towards the academy and, and the qualification process can be intimidating. Um, for short films, um, it's the same as, as theatrical. You have to do theatrical, you have to do a two week run. But for a short film, you do a one week run. So what I mm. came up with a festival, a different festival director, she was just like, if you can get a bunch of filmmakers together, you can split the theater cost. And the theater cost for the week was $2,000. And we got together, you know, four or five filmmakers and we ended up paying $500 each. So that's another way to qualify your film. It doesn't have to win, you know, it's, it's, a, it's still such a lottery system and such a Russian roulette winning an Oscar qualifying festival. But if you have a film that you really believe in, you want to qualify, there's that option. You know, when we come back to the theaters and everything, it's just come together with other filmmakers. Everybody commits to the week of the qualification shots. And then instead of having to pay two thousand dollars you know depending on how many filmmakers you bring in to program for the hour hour and a half in the theater you cut your costs down by a lot so that's
0: that's fantastic and you create community
1: yeah you create a community i'm still friends i still talk with those filmmakers so yeah i love that
0: Wanjiru. thank you so much for speaking with us i really appreciate your time um, this has been so much fun and, you know, and, and hopeful, you know, just putting more positive light out in the world, which I think is
1: what we all need right now. Thank you. Thank you so much. This year, it was a good one. I have oh, a story to do with my birthday, Heidi. And, and Go story. for it. I, I tell people, try to find your support system. Last year on my birthday, I was so frustrated. Again, you know, directing fellowships, applying for everything. I told my best friend that if, This year's birthday, if it hadn't happened for me, if I didn't have my big film thing happen for me, I was gonna leave the industry. And you've got your
0: ultimatum for yourself.
1: I I gave myself an ultimatum, but this is the craziest part. The Academy announces um, new members on July 1st. This year they announced it on June thirtieth. Like it swept my knee. And my best friend, as soon as we got off the phone, sent me the screenshot of me telling her if this doesn't happen by next year, I am out. And she, and she was like, I never want to see a message like this from you. Again. Uh, amazing. The universe was like, Oh really? <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, I haven't shared that yet. And I need to start putting that out in the universe. That's great. Friendship. I love that. Friendship of 17 years. She was like, I never want to see a message like this again. She talked to me off the ledge.
0: Oh, that's awesome. We all need that. Well thank you so much, everyone. Um, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate your time and your attention and you know your curiosity.
1: So yes, it's, um, always, it's always fun to chat and, and hopefully you'll yeah. we'll listen soon one day.
0: Next time on Hearthside Salons, writer Josh Greenberg was always the funniest guy in the room. I know, I was there. He grew up in Northern California, moved to LA, and parlayed his observational skills into a consistently growing comedy writing career staffed on multiple network shows. We'll talk about what it takes to be a comedy writer and what's next for Hollywood after quarantine. Special thanks to our graphic and sonic designer, Joel Harris. Our theme music is by Lachey Swing. For more on our script coaching, online concept-to-pages writing courses, and writing retreats in Italy, again someday, check out pagecraftwriting.com, at pagecraftwriting on Instagram, and at pagecraftwrite on Twitter. I'm Heidi from PageCraft, Thanks for listening and stay well.